Today, we begin part two, part two of our journey through the book of 2 Timothy. Some of you guys were here last week. If you weren't, that's okay. Uh, Paul, this is his last letter written sometime between 64, 67 AD. Nero is the emperor of Rome. Things aren't going well for Paul. He's in a Roman dungeon. He's coming to the end of his life. His friends have abandoned him. Feeling lonely this week? Feeling lonely? Okay, Paul, he knows what that's like. He can relate to you. And he's writing this letter to this young man named Timothy, who is a pastor at the church in Ephesus. It's a guy he's just been mentoring and discipling. And and the theme of this letter, if, if you like to take notes, this is something that you should remember. The theme of this letter is persevering in our faith despite suffering. He wants Timothy to continue to persevere in his faith long after he's gone, despite whatever suffering may come his way. And so we begin in verse 6. He says, For this reason, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. For this reason, Timothy, it seems seems likely that Timothy's fervor, Timothy's devotion for God is not what it used to be. It's, it's waning a little bit. And that can happen to a pastor. It can happen to a pastor. It can happen to a college freshman. It can some of you, maybe you came here a month ago and you were excited. Many of you were college students, you were excited about the semester. And, and some of you, that, that passion and that zeal has left. Some of you, you haven't even opened your Bible in the last week. You haven't even spent any time seeking the Lord in, in prayer. And that zeal... That zeal is, is gone. That fire has burned down to embers. It seems likely that Timothy, his faith, his, his, his zeal, his passion for the Lord is, is cooled, at least to some degree. And so he says in verse 6, for this reason, which brings up the question, well, what's the reason? For this, for this reason. If you like drawing in your Bible, I like drawing in my Bible. I would circle the phrase for this reason in verse 6, and I draw like a line backwards to verse 5, specifically to the part where it says sincere faith in verse 5. For this reason in verse 6 is referring back to the sincere faith that Timothy was commended for in verse 5. Last week, we saw that Paul commends him for having a sincere faith. Like Paul, Paul knows Timothy loves Jesus. He knows he loves Jesus. So he says, for this reason, the, the fact that you do love Jesus, Timothy, I want to do something. I want to remind you to fan to flame the gift of God. I want to remind you. Paul wants to remind Timothy something that he already knows. So if you've heard this before, great. Timothy's heard this before. He's not telling Timothy anything he hasn't already told him before. 
He wants to remind him of something he knows. We talk about the theme of 2 Timothy, persevering in the faith despite suffering. You want to persevere in your faith? Some of you want to persevere in your faith. You want to persevere in your faith? Well, part of persevering in the faith includes being reminded of things we already know. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of things we know to help us to persevere in our faith so that we don't coast, so that we don't float in this Disneyland version of Christianity that has just infiltrated much of the American church today. We need to be reminded of things. Pastors need to be reminded of things. I do, at least. And so he says, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. To, to fan into flame, it literally means to keep the fire alive. There's this picture of this fire that Timothy perhaps used to have, and, and that zeal and that passion for the Lord has begun to wane. It's, it's this picture of burning down just, just embers. And he says, fan that flame, like get the fire going again, Timothy. He urges him to set it ablaze. Some of you, some of you need to do the same thing. Some of you need to be reminded of the same thing. Like some of you, you need to step up. You do. Like you need to stop making excuses. You need to stop sitting on the sidelines and actually get into the game. You used to be in the game, using your gifts, ministering to others, but you're not. Just kind of floating over here. And so Paul urges him, Timothy, Timothy, I know you love the Lord. I know you love Jesus, but you, you need to, you need to get back into that game. That fire, it's burned down. You, you, you need to give it oxygen. You need to allow it to breathe. You need to get back to where you were. It's an appeal. It's an appeal to Timothy to continue to use his spiritual gifts. When I say getting back into the game, this is what I mean. Like many of you here today, like you love Jesus. You love him a lot. You've been given gifts. Maybe they're Talents, gifts, maybe their musical skills, their talents, maybe you have the gift of service, maybe you have the gift of encouragement, teaching, leadership, administration, maybe you have the gift of discernment, faith, or mercy. Like, if you're a Christian, God's given you gifts. You might not know totally what they are, that's okay. But, if we don't exercise these gifts, when we begin to neglect these gifts, these gifts, it's like our muscles, they begin to atrophy. <coughs> and some of you, some of you have been neglecting the gifts that God have, has given you. You're just sitting on the sidelines, you're just coasting, you're just floating. You need to be in the game. You're not in the game at all. There used to be a fire, a passion, a zeal for the Lord, and it has just come down to nothing but embers. And so he says, Timothy, I'm just reminding you of something you already know. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This phrase, laying on of hands, is a reference to a time when Timothy's gifts were like officially recognized. The act of laying on of hands here is seen as symbolic. It's not like I'm going to come lay my hands on you and then like abracadabra, you got the gift. But rather, through observation, through discipleship and mentorship, it's very apparent like Timothy, Timothy has the gifts of, of a pastor. Has the gifts of teaching. And so this reference that they came and they laid their hands on him was an affirmation. Once again, he's not telling Timothy he doesn't anything he doesn't know, but reminding him to that point in his life where you remember back then. Some of you it was just a month ago. Or three months ago, and spiritually, you were at like a completely different place than where you are right now. It can happen to pastors. It can happen to any of us. And so he says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The reference to spirit, it does not refer to Holy Spirit, but rather the traits from which the spirit author. For example, the Holy Spirit does not author or produce fear. You're afraid? Okay. That's not being produced or authored by the Holy Spirit. It's not. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that, it doesn't produce fear, it doesn't produce timidity, it doesn't produce cowardice. It says he has not given in the original language this phrase is showing past completed action. He's saying he hasn't given you fear, but he has given you other things. It's happened already. And he wants Timothy to remember what those things were. Power, love, self-control. Now, Proverbs 1.7 and other places speak of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fools despise it. There is an appropriate fear and awe of reverence of God that we should have. But that's not, that's not what he's referring to here. John MacArthur writes, this is a timid, cowardly, shameful fear that's generated by a weak and selfish character. It's being referred to here. Timid, cowardly, shameful fear that is generated by weak and selfish character. That's what's going on in this guy's life, apparently. You say, weak and selfish character. No, but you don't understand, Joe. Okay? You don't know. This person, these people, this church, they hurt me. Okay? So, like, I, I've had some bad experiences, Joe. So, so you can understand why I'm a little reluctant to go from the sidelines right back into the game. And I, I understand that there are probably legitimate reasons for those hurts and those pains. I understand. But it's not okay to continue using those reasons as justification to keep you here on the sideline. Like at some point, you've got to get back into the game. At some point, you've, you've got to step up. 
There's a, a time to grieve and a time to hurt. I understand that. But the, at some point, that time has to come to an end. That's where MacArthur would say that fear is ultimately oftentimes rooted in just selfishness. I'm hurt. And I had the bad experience. I don't, I don't want to go back in and do that. I don't want to step up in that way before. I don't, I don't want that. And so oftentimes what happens is we become stuck in that place, on that sideline, because we're just focused on that bad experience that we had. We're focused on that hurt. We're focused on that fear from the hurt, because we don't want to be hurt again. And if that's where your focus is, if it's just simply on yourself, because you think about it, I'm afraid because this happened. So I don't want to go back and, and risk putting myself in that position. That's really self-focused in many ways. Like I said, there are legitimate hurts and pains that we experience, especially when we do ministry. Context here. It's okay to, to, to feel hurt, but it's not okay to keep using that as a reason or, or, or justification not to get back into that game and use the gifts that God's given you. Rather, he wants Timothy to focus on something else. Don't focus on the fear. That fear doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce that. You have fear right now? That's not coming from the Holy Spirit. But here's something that the Holy Spirit does produce. Because sometimes we just say, all right, well, just don't be afraid anymore. Just don't have fear. He shows him something bigger than his fear. He says, God has given you something. The Holy Spirit has produced something, has authored something that is love, power, and self-control. And those are all things that God has given to you. You haven't made it happen. He has. He has. Because God doesn't call us from that point to step back in to fan that flame and then not equip us for the call that he has. Timothy, I'm not telling you to do something that you're unable to do. You can do this. You can step up. And God can enable you to do the thing he's asking you to do. It's very reminiscent of St. Augustine's ancient prayer, which I absolutely love, where he says, Lord, command what you will. He's being commanded right now. Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Enable me, Lord, Augustine would pray, to do the things you've commanded me to do. Timothy, he's already enabled you to do the things. But if you only focus on that fear, you're going to keep staying where you're at, floating, way adrift. These aren't specific things that only Timothy has. You say, oh, only Timothy has that. MacArthur writes, all believers possess these marvelous God-given endowments, power, love, and self-control. He's not going to call you to do something and then just like leave you hanging. He's not. So we get to verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He commands Timothy not to be ashamed. Now, this doesn't imply that Timothy was somehow already ashamed. And he needed to just stop being ashamed. But rather, he's warning Timothy. He's warning Timothy. He knows Timothy is 
timid at times and fearful and prone to worry and anxiety. He knows, he knows that. And so he's warning Timothy in this state where his faith, where his zeal for the Lord has waned a little bit, he's warning him. You don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And it's interesting here. You'd easily miss this. Nor of me, his prisoner. You see that? Where is he at right now? He's in Rome. He's in Rome. He's in Rome. He's in a dungeon. The Romans have him. That's not what he says. Isn't that interesting? So it must be a typo or something. Nope, I checked the text. That's what it says. Not a typo. The Romans have him in prison. That's true. Paul does not view that as the primary reason or cause. Rather, he attributes ultimately the fact that he is in this situation right now to Jesus. He's Jesus' prisoner. What does that do? That does a lot of things. That begins to paint a very big picture of God. He doesn't find himself in this awful situation accidentally. Like rats, like if God had been paying more attention, maybe he could have like prevented Paul from being like captured and imprisoned. Like God could have stopped it, but he didn't. Or maybe God was fully aware of it, but God respected the Romans' will so much that he, he wouldn't like interfere whatsoever. No, Paul attributes the primary reason, the fact that he is in a Roman dungeon right now, ultimately to God. I'm a prisoner, not of the Romans. I'm a prisoner of God. The situation not catching him off guard by any means. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Says the guy in the dungeon. Says the guy in the dungeon. Amazing. Amazing. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here accidentally. I'm not in this dungeon accidentally. And so he warns Timothy not to be ashamed. But some of you are. Some of you are in shit. Some of you are ashamed or embarrassed. Talked about this a little bit last week. Like, if I had to ask, <laughs> rhetorical, don't raise your hand. If I had to say, how many of you have shared your faith, like, in the last six months? I wonder how many hands we'd have go up. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. And sometimes we are. Like sometimes I am. Give you an example. I, uh, <coughs> I'm getting my hair cut a week ago. A young girl, 19 years old, cutting my hair. I'm talking to her. She's uh, one of those, I think, southern Christians. They'd say they're a Christian, you know, they... Maybe the Easter, Christmas type thing here and there. It's really more just an event you go to, like a social club, 
more than anything else. And I'm talking to her, living the area her whole life. And I'm thinking, I need, I need to say something to her. I don't want to say anything to her. I know I need to say something. I don't want to say anything to her. Not because I'm worried that I'm going to be taken off and thrown in a Roman dungeon. That wasn't my fear or concern. But rather, she might think I'm weird. Like, I, I want to invite her to come to our, our gatherings. I didn't want the other. A little bit of a pansy in that moment. It was. People say, well, why, why? think about this too. You know, we always say, well, we should you know, invite people to church, invite people to small group. Why? I don't know. Let me tell you what the answer is not. We don't do that. To warm a pew. We don't invite people to church or small group to simply add another person in these seats. That's not why. If that's why you think it is, you missed the point. In the essence of inviting them, we're calling them to come and follow Jesus with us. It is an act of discipleship. I don't know if you thought about it like that before. I want you to come and join me. It should be that. That should be your motivation. Not to warm another seat. Not to, not to do that, but to invite them to come and follow Jesus alongside of us. That's, that's, that's really, that's, that's at the heartbeat of discipleship. But I'm in there. She's cutting my hair and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want, I don't want it. Like I want to talk to her, but I think she might think I'm weird or something. I'm like, weird? That's what I thought. I was embarrassed. To a certain degree. You talk about fear. Oftentimes, fear comes from selfishness. I know what I, I'm supposed to do, but I'm afraid because she might think this or this or this about me, and I don't want her thinking this or this or this about me. But it's not about me at all. So I just prayed. I'm like, God, give us the spirit of fear. You give us power, love, self-control. I... Give me the help. I don't know why. I just help me to say something to her. And so I'm, I'm checking out. I'm signing the tip. And, uh, and I just said, hey, um, I gave her a card. And I said, I, I have a small group at my house every Tuesday, Wednesday night. I think you might be, I think you might really enjoy it. Here's the card. You can go on the website. It has the address and, and information. But I'd love for you to come. I think you'd really enjoy it. Pastors struggle with being ashamed and fear too. They do. Don't, Timothy, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering. I tell you what, I like to share a lot of things. Suffering's not one of them. I don't want to suffer. Suffering's uncomfortable. But he calls him to. You want to live a godly life? If you're sitting here today and you want to live a godly life, then are you prepared to suffer? Some of you, you're not even prepared to be embarrassed. Like me, inviting a random stranger to, to come follow Jesus with you. 
You want to live a godly life? You need to be prepared to suffer. And here's the thing. If you don't have a, if you don't have a big view and understanding of God, this isn't going to make any sense. Why is it so significant that he points out the fact that he's a prisoner, not of the Romans, but a prisoner of the Lord? Because he's right where he should be. Timothy, he knows, he knows he's not going to live much longer. He wants the young guy he's mentoring, discipling, to continue to persevere in the faith, even if he finds himself in chains. And Timothy, one of the ways he's, he wants to help him to be able to do this is by painting a bigger picture of God. Timothy, you find yourself in this situation for being faithful. Like a sea of Bibi right now, who's on death row in Pakistan. Timothy, know. Know that you can do this. Not because of who you are, but because of how big your God is. And it's not going to be by accident that you may find yourself in the future in this sort of situation. No. Not at all. For Paul, this isn't scary. Because for Paul... He's where he's supposed to be. For Paul, this isn't that scary because for Paul, he, he believes he is right where he is supposed to be. Not by accident, not primarily as a prisoner of the Romans, but primarily as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is there for a reason. We come to verse 9. Man, verse 9 has got a lot. Strap in, guys. Who saved us? God saved us. God saved us. God called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I saw that verse perhaps for the first time. I really saw that verse for the first time. 2011, 2012, I was back home in Alaska for, for Christmas break. And I was reading a book called Spectacular Sins. Amazing book. It's free, PDF, Undesiring God. Spectacular Sins and Their Global Purpose for the Glory of Christ. And I read a paragraph that just about boggled my mind. Boggled my mind. I must have... I'm looking at this verse, I'm staring at this verse, and I'm seeing things that I've never seen before at this point. I want to read you that paragraph. John Piper writes this. He says, Paul tells timid Timothy that before there was any human sin in the world that needed grace, before Adam had sinned, before the world existed, God gave grace to Timothy in Christ Jesus for salvation. God had Timothy in view, and he had Jesus Christ in view, and he had grace in view, and he had salvation in view before there was any world or any human sin or any human guilt. That's heavy. No world... No sin. No Timothy. And he says, Timothy, God, he did something. What did he do? 
God called us to a holy calling. God saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. Not like, oh, well, I know Timothy's going to be a rock star in the future, so no, no, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose, his own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Why does he say this to Timothy? This is heavy. Because Timothy is timid. Timothy's he's kind of a fraidy cat sometimes, it seems. Like me, too. See, Paul's antidote for wimpy Christians like me and Timothy at times is weighty doctrine. Not, oh, just don't be afraid. Not, I know you're, I know you're kind of fearful at times. Just, just don't be afraid. Have more faith. Like the typical church answer. He says, no. Timothy, I'm going to paint a picture of God that is so big, it's going to rock your world. It's going to boggle your mind. Timothy doesn't need a pep talk. Timothy needs to see just how big his God is. There's no world. There's no sin. It's not like, oh, well, there's there's sin. And so in response to sin, I'm going to do this. Nope. I got you in mind, Timothy. God has you in mind, Timothy. And he gave you saving grace through Jesus Christ before you were ever born. Before I created anything. I came across this and I had to take some aspirin because my head was pounding trying to think this through. Monstrous implications here. I'm like, my, my, my box that I had God in was like, oh, the walls are beginning to, 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 to like rattle and about to just explode. It couldn't contain the, the God that I'm seeing Paul paint here any longer. Piper goes on to say, in Paul's mind, the most massive truths are meant for producing radical lives of obedience. We talk about the theme of the story, persevering in the faith, despite suffering. You want to persevere in the faith? I hope you do. The most massive truths are meant for producing radical lives of obedience. Great biblical truths like this are fuel in the fire of the God-centered soul. Fuel in the fire of the God-centered soul. And so, grace was planned before human sin was there to need it. This means that God's plan to save us through grace, it was not a response to human sin. He had the plan before the ages and that plan was for the glory of the sin-conquering grace through Jesus Christ. Wimpy Christians, we need these massive biblical truths. Especially in moments of fear and timidity and cowardice. He goes on to say this in verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And which now has been manifested. It's been made known. Like we can see it now through the appearing. It happened when Jesus Christ appeared because he did something. He abolished death. He brought life and immortality 
to light through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, totally God, totally man, died on the cross for our sins, was buried three days later, resurrected from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. Salvation's a free gift of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. That's good news. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. I was appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Not all of us are teachers. That's okay. But if you love Jesus, and he's your treasure, and you're his follower, he's given you gifts. He's given you gifts. He says, for which I was appointed. He was appointed for a reason. Like, you're not given gifts just to come over here on the sidelines and float. God doesn't save you, do a miracle in your life, change you, radically change you, give you spiritual gifts so you can just come and warm a pew once a week. He doesn't do that. Did you not hear what he said in the earlier verse? We've been called to a holy calling. A holy calling. One that we shouldn't be ashamed of. There's a purpose here. The purpose is not to be over there on the sidelines. It's to be here in the game, using our gifts, ministering to others. And yet so many of us are not. We're just floating comes to verse 12. He says this, which is why I suffer as I do. I suffer as I do. This is why. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. He says, I have believed in the original language that the, the tense being used here is indicating something that began in the past and has continuing results. I have believed. And he makes this reference here. He makes this reference in verse 12 and he says, he, God, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He doesn't say what has been entrusted to me. The reference very well could be to his life, his converts, his work, his ministry. But regardless, he says, I'm sure. I'm confident. I'm convinced that he's able to guard it, that which is entrusted. This word entrusted is really significant. Another way for the, another uh, word is deposit. This, this thing that's been entrusted, this thing that's been deposited, Barclay suggests uh, this, this word pictures a man going on a journey, so a guy going on a long journey, and he gives his friend, he entrusts something to his friend, he makes a deposit to his friend, something very precious, very valuable. And then to return, Barclay says, such a deposit unharmed was one of the highest and most sacred obligations men recognize at this time to the ancient world, 
there was nothing more sacred than the duty to return that which had been entrusted and to return it safely. It is this very duty that Paul places upon God. God can guard it. God can hold it. God can keep it. Paul is talking to his buddy Timothy, a young man he loves very much. Who's Timothy? whose faith is waning. And he's affirming, Timothy, God can keep a life. God can keep a life. He can do that. Or a ministry. He can keep it in, in, in the perfect position. God can, God can do this, Timothy. No, you're afraid. I get that. He can do that. He wants... Timothy, to see the vastness and magnitude of God. He wants, in knowing these massive truths and realities, to propel him from this state of being on the sidelines to coming back into the game using the gifts that God has given him. It's not always, not, this is not a typical pep talk. This is Paul's way of doing it. Showing Timothy massive truths. Some of you guys, you need to step up. You need to. You need to stop making excuses. Well, this is why, but this is why, and that's, you, you, yeah, all these things. I got it. I'm sure there's legit reasons. But if you're looking for a reason why not to, you're always going to find it. You know, talk to freshmen. I'm really busy. I have a lot of homework, so I, I can't really be that consistent. And then the upperclassmen laugh, and they're like, yeah, right. What are you studying for, like, biblical worldview? Like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then it's, you know, it just goes up. Like, the, you know, the seniors talking, and then the grad students like, wait, what? Like, and then further and further. And then it's the person that has kids, and they're like, wait, you got to be kidding me. Like, if you're looking for a reason to stay on the sidelines, you're going to find it. It's not that hard. Timothy, Timothy, God's given you gifts. Timothy, I got it. Like, you're afraid, you're, you're timid, maybe something happened. There's a reason. But Timothy, as long as you focus on that reason, you're, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to keep floating out here. I want you to focus on the divine resources that God has provided for you. The spirit of power and love and self-control. Timothy, he's called you to a holy calling, a purpose. God didn't save you so you can just coast in this life and then go to heaven. And so many people, so many Christians, maybe people in this room, you're just coasting, you're just floating. There's, maybe there's a reason that you keep using over and over again. One of the worst things you can do come to the end of your life and look back and say, I wasted it. I had all that time. And I wasted it. That's probably one of the saddest things. Don't waste it. Make your life count for something of eternal significance. Make it count. 
For you are called to a holy calling. So get off the sidelines. Get back into the game. Fan those embers and step up. God, we love you. And I pray right now that you would help us. Some of us, God, oh, it's just embarrassing how long we've been riding on the sidelines, not getting into the game. That zeal and passion we once had for you has just completely died. And we're coming face to face with this reality once again, right here, this Sunday. And I pray that you would help us, God, not to focus on the fear or the other circumstances that's that's held us back. That, That doesn't come from you. The Holy Spirit is an author, produce those things, but that we would focus on what you have provided. You don't call us and then leave us hanging. You've given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. You've called us to a holy calling. There is a purpose. You are a big God. I pray that we would not be ashamed, embarrassed, that we would be bold in our witness for you. You're not caught off guard. Paul's not, Paul's situation doesn't, didn't catch you off guard. He's right where he's supposed to be. Oh God, I pray that these massive realities, realities about you giving, saving grace to Timothy before there's even a world, that these massive realities would help move us to have radical lives of obedience. We need your help. And so I join with St. Augustine. We join with St. Augustine as he would often pray so many centuries ago, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Enable us to do the things you've called us to do. Need your help, Jesus. Help us. Help those of us who are struggling. Amen.